Thank you for coming. Um, I know Eddie was just had to ch chat to Eddie earlier, and he said, uh, you know, he, wherever he goes, it, uh, he likes to encourage people to fellowship. So it'd be good to catch up with you if you haven't spoken to me already. Um, be good to catch up during the breaks. Shall we start with a word of prayer? Father God, we uh, come before you again, and thank you once again for this Shabbat. This time where we gather before you and putting you at the centre, the day that you've given for us. And we just uh, we thank you for the blessing that it has been to us. And we, just, we thank you that the blessing today will be because you've given it to us. And we just pray again for Eddie, uh, that you will give him new revelation uh, that he, he can impart to us. And Father, open our hearts and minds to hear what you are saying to us as individuals, but also as a group of people who are committed to serving you and seeking first your kingdom. So we pray now that you'll bless this time, bless this, uh, this space. In Yeshua's name. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shalom. Um, let me say that it's a privilege, joy, and honor that Yeshua the Messiah has given me to be able to not only be in this country again, as I've been here several times, but to be in this place again and for us to be able to meet on this Sabbath and this weekend to draw closer to our Messiah and to study and understand His Word in a greater measure, in a greater way. And so here today, the first couple messages that I'm going to be sharing with you is all about what it means and what it takes to be the bride of Messiah. How many of you are wanting to be and looking forward to be a part of Messiah's bride? Awesome. So what does he ask? What does he require of us? What does that look like? Actually, in the Hebraic wedding, there are two major stages to marriage. And the first is called betrothal. Betrothal is when you are legally married to, but you do not physically dwell with. And in Matthew chapter 1, we see that that was the situation between Mary and Joseph. That they were betrothed to one another, they were legally married, but they hadn't entered into the second stage of the marriage is, where, is when you physically dwell with your spouse and you consummate the marriage. And so once you are betrothed, even though you are legally married, it is incumbent upon the parties that they be faithful to one another because unfaithfulness will cause the spouse to not want to dwell with their mate and enter into the fullness of the marriage. And thus, once you are betrothed, even though you haven't physically dwelt with your spouse, you can get a divorce. And so Joseph perceived or believed that Mary was unfaithful to him, so he sought to get a divorce. But the Lord intervened and told Joseph, no, Mary wasn't unfaithful. That which she has of her is of the Ruach HaKodesh. So Joseph did not 
then get the divorce, but embraced the child, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. And so we need to have that background and understanding that there's two stages to marriage because when we're talking about being the bride of Messiah, if you have, hopefully everyone here has, accepted Yeshua as your Savior and you've endeavored to make Him Lord of your life, you are betrothed. So you are a bride now. But the question is, when He comes, will He want to dwell with you? Will He want to spend time with you? Will He want to rule and reign with you? And so, when does He do that? In what we call the kingdom, when He sets His feet down on the Mount of Olives, and when He teaches the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem. He's coming for a bride, and His bride is going to rule and reign with Him in His kingdom, teaching the Torah to all nations. And so, in order for us to be in the kingdom and ruling and reigning with Him, we have to be found faithful once now that we are betrothed. So you understand the concept? When we're talking about being His bride, we're talking about being the bride that He comes to dwell with. Because you're already betrothed if you have received Yeshua as Savior and Lord. And so this first message is what I've entitled The Journey of the Bride. And we're going to look at the Bible from the bigger picture. And we're going to see that the Bible is all about the endeavoring of Yeshua to have a bride and the story of his relationship with her. And so we're going to go through and document the history of the desire for a bride and then the relationship with the bride. And so I've called this the journey of the bride. Now, the first thing we need to do is understand one of the primary purposes of creation, meaning why we have an earth and why you're living in this earth. Because, you know, while you're here, hopefully sometime in your life you ask the question, what's the purpose of life? Because we all have to make a decision about how we see life and how we see our life. And is there a purpose for the earth being here itself? And is there a purpose to you being on the earth and what that is? We all have to answer that question and decide for ourselves what we believe about this. Uh, but from a biblical viewpoint, the reason why this world was created the reason why you are here is that Yeshua desires to have a bride. And the name of his bride is Israel. And he wants to have a marriage relationship, a covenant relationship with her. And he wants you to be a part of being his bride. And so you are here because he has an invitation extended to you and he wants to know whether you're going to accept and receive that invitation. 
And so here, uh, by the book, Sound the Great Shofar by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, he explains that our sages point to Messiah and the redemption. The redemption is the end of the exile and the coming of the Messianic era. Messiah and the redemption as the ultimate purpose for the creation of the world. God created the world in order that he would have a dwelling place in the earth. And this goal will be realized in the era of redemption, or in other words, the Messianic times. When Yeshua sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives and sets up his kingdom, that's when the goal will be realized. Our sages state the world was created only for the purpose of the Messiah. So that thought that is expressed there in that book is exactly what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Speaking of Yeshua, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Now pay attention to verse 16. For by Him were all things created. In other words, He's the one that created the heavens and the earth. Yeshua is the one that said, Let there be light. By Him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are on earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, look at this. All things were created by Him, but also for Him. And so why was the world created for Him? It was so that He would have a bride. And He's going to obtain this bride by making a covenant with a people that is called in the Bible Israel. Now, we're going to now begin in the garden, and we're going to see that the marriage between Adam and Eve in the garden was a prophetic foreshadowing of Yeshua's marriage to his bride. And in Adam and Eve coming together and explaining how this happened, it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, And Yahweh Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. Now, initially, in the primary way in which we read scriptural texts, is we take it literally. There was literally an Adam, and, and he went into a sleep. But we need to also understand the principle that biblical history is prophecy. So this isn't just historical, but this is also prophetic. And it's all to teach us about the kingdom of God, the ways of the kingdom of God. It's all to teach us about the Messiah. And everything is given to teach us about what the God of Israel wants from us in establishing and desiring to have a relationship with us. And so this deep sleep is going to be prophetic of Adam and thus the descendants of Adam, ultimately the nation of Israel, departing from the God of Israel, departing from his ways. It's going to be prophetic that the bride of Messiah is 
going to depart from her obligations within the relationship and sleeping is departing from the Torah, departing from the ways of the God of Israel. We're going to see how sleep is associated with spiritual slumber. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And he said, go and tell this people, hear you indeed, but understand not. See, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes. In other words, they're doing something outwardly. They can physically hear, um, but they're not spiritually hearing. They have physical eyes, but they're not spiritually seeing. Isaiah 29, verses 9 and 10. Stay yourselves and wonder. Cry you out and cry. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. How are they staggering? Spiritually. What are you doing to stagger spiritually? You've departed from the Torah. For Yahweh has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and closed your eyes. So you see here, deep sleep is associated with spiritual slumber. So when Adam went into deep sleep, it foreshadowed spiritual slumber, departing from the Torah, not understanding the ways of the God of Israel. In Isaiah 29, it continues, in the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, it's, a, it's like a book, the Bible, it's a book. It's delivered to one that is learned, that's supposed to understand a little bit about what the scripture says, and you say, read this, and he says, I can't, I can't understand what it says. And the book is delivered to one, that, one that's not learned. You know, haven't studied the Bible. And you say to them, now read this. And they say, well, I can't because, you know, I've never studied the thing. I don't, I don't know what it means. He says, this is what it's like for my people. Now, deep sleep is associated with spiritual slumber, which is departing from the Torah. But deep sleep also then is associated with going into exile. Because when you depart from the Torah, the consequence is exile. So in the book, From Exile to Redemption, volume 1, page 11, Rabbi Schneerson explains, in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy One, blessed be he, may be described metaphorically as awake. In the time of exile, he may be described metaphorically as asleep. There's another term that the scripture uses. It's called hiding the face. Hiding the face. Now, in the garden, there were two trees. And the two trees in the garden represent obedience to Torah or following the ways of the world. Now, a term for following the ways of the world is Babylon. The world, the world system is called Babylon. And we must choose following the God of Israel in His ways or going the way of the world in its ways. 
We have a choice. That's what the two trees spiritually represents. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. And now the ground made Yahweh Elohim to grow every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life. The tree of life is the Torah and obeying the Torah. Obeying the ways of the God of Israel. And also in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It's the mixture of good and evil. It's good and evil. It's the mixture of good and evil. Well, you know what Babylon or Babel means in Hebrew? It means to mix. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is mixture, and mixture is Babylon. And so you've got following the Torah or following the, the world, Babylon, or disobeying the Torah. And Yahweh Elohim commanded the man, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Don't follow after the world, the world's ways, and the world system, whose values are contrary to the word of God. So if the tree of life represents obeying the word of God, obeying his ways, then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is disobeying his ways. Following his ways is following the Torah. Disobeying his ways is disobeying the Torah. So now, let's see in the scriptures where the Torah is called the tree of life, because we've just given the definition of the tree of life as following the Torah in the ways of the God of Israel. We can see that the Torah is called a tree of life in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 18. My son, forget not my Torah, let your heart keep my commandments. So the subject is the Torah. The subject is keeping the commandments. Now, what is said about the Torah and keeping the commandments in Proverbs 3.18, she is a tree of life. And so, Torah in Hebrew, T-O-R-A-H, the A-H of the word is feminine in Hebrew. So Torah in Hebrew is a she. She, the Torah, is a tree of life. And so we see in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, Yeshua said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last words of the Greek alphabet. We would say in Hebrew, the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So then Yeshua says, Blessed are they that do His commandments. That means follow the Torah. That they might have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. Oh, now we're being told that the new Jerusalem has a tree of life. So the tree that was planted in the garden um, is a blueprint of the tree of life that's in the new Jerusalem. And so if you believe in Yeshua, love Him, keep His commandments, Commit your heart and your life to follow Him in His ways with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Ultimately, your reward is the tree of life. Because you've pursued and eaten of the tree of life, so you receive or inherit as a reward the tree of life. So two trees, the tree of life, that's the Torah, and following the Torah, which gives you a an eternal reward. The other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
So we're going to see that Babylon is associated with mixture. Genesis chapter 10 verse 8, And Cush begat Nimrod, he was a mighty hunter before Yahweh, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Nimrod, that word means rebellion. Yeah. And Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord scattered them abroad from the face of the earth. Because he scattered them, the name of it is called Babel. And so Babel is Strong's number 894, and it means to confuse by mixing. And it says they named it confused by mixing because Yahweh did confound Balah. They called it Babel because he did Balah. It's a play on the Hebrew. Balal means to mix or mingle. So he scattered them. He took the language and scattered it into many. He took the original language Hebrew and made it into many languages. And so he mixed the languages. Now, in the garden, we are told that from the deep sleep that came upon Adam, that there was a marriage that took place between Adam and Eve. It says, And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, in the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And look, he brought her to the man. So Yahweh Elohim himself is being the matchmaker. And from what happened to Adam, the deep sleep, the outcome or the result was a marriage, was a bride. This is a prophecy. And it teaches us about Messiah and his bride. And so, once we have this marriage, Adam says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Hebrew, she shall be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish. She's woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, you see, this is an example. Therefore, Shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they will be one flesh. Now, Paul is explaining in Ephesians chapter 5 that the marriage between Adam and Eve on the spiritual deeper level is about Messiah's marriage to his congregation, who is to be his bride. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Messiah is the head of the congregation. And now he's going to quote Genesis 2. After making the statement that Messiah is the head of the congregation. For this cause, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And then he says, 
This is a great mystery. Uh, the mystery here means a deeper meaning. But I speak concerning Messiah and his congregation. Um, please don't read into this that I'm disagreeing with what you've said, because I don't. But with the first example you gave of God, of Adam going into a deep sleep, you said sleep is like associated with falling away. But yes. with Adam, God actually put, God put Adam into a deep sleep. Yes. In other words, Adam didn't fall away. He, he was put into a deep sleep. In, in the literal, yes, but it's prophetic. Yeah. All right? So what's happening is literal, but it's prophetic. I'm giving you the prophetic. Right. And, and we're not going to dismiss what you're pointing out, which is the literal. Okay? All right. So he quotes Ephesians chapter 2. This is a great mystery. Now, mystery doesn't mean I can't understand it. It means what I was, how I was answering his question. It means that it's an understanding that you don't get at the literal level. So what? He was pointing out the literal level, and he's saying, well, how do you get the understanding? It's because it's at the spiritual level, not at the literal level. And so it's a, a deeper meaning. In Hebrew, it's a so. And there, it is understood that there are five, four primary levels of understanding a biblical text. The primary level is the literal. It's called the Peshat. The fourth level is the so. Christians use um, these words for the so. Well, spiritually it means this. And when they look at the New Testament, they're almost all the time saying, well, I know that that's literal, but it spiritually means this. And so they basically say, let's throw away the literal because it spiritually means this and we need to follow the spiritual. So a great mystery means the spiritual. But I speak concerning Messiah and his congregation. So now back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. So what I'm doing is I'm sh showing you the literal, but I'm explaining to you the deeper meaning of it, the spiritual. Genesis 3 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired, to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it to her husband with her and he did eat. And so this is prophetic that mankind was going to sin, that the nation of Israel was going to sin and break the covenant. And so Breaking the covenant because you're talking about a marriage relationship. When the spouse is unfaithful, you call it portal. And so we see in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, from their disobedience, all of a sudden they realized they were naked. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. It says, and they heard the voice of Yahweh Elohim walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh Elohim among the trees of the garden. Now, 
In the King James English, where it says presence, it's the Hebrew word panim, and it means face. They hid themselves from the face of God. The face of God means having a close relationship with. And so the sin causes a separation from the relationship. All right, when you're having and trying to have a relationship with someone, you speak to them face to face. Now, if I'm going to hide my face, in other words, you can't see my face, so let's see now, I'm speaking to you face to face. Now I'm gonna hide my face. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna turn my face so what you see my neck. So now the neck is stiff-necked, it's rebellion. And so they hid themselves from the presence. It was showing that the relationship was lost. And so, what's the spiritual meaning of once they sinned, they realized that they were naked? What does it mean they realized that they were naked? Sin is spiritual nakedness. You see, when you're naked, you don't have a covering. Well, Yahweh Elohim himself, he is our covering. So, um, they were actually clothed with His presence. They were clothed with His presence. When they sinned, His presence departed. So now they weren't clothed with His presence, and so they were naked. So sin is spiritual nakedness. Isaiah 47, verse 1, it says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. And then it says, Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Your sin shall be uncovered. What does it mean? Your sin shall be uncovered. Uncovered nakedness is a reference to sexual immorality. Genesis chapter 9 verse 21. And Noah drank of the wine and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 17. If a man shall take his sister and see her nakedness... He has uncovered. See her nakedness. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. So biblical nakedness is being without the presence or the covering of the God of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 37. Behold, therefore, I will gather all your lovers with whom you have taken pleasure I'm going to gather your lovers. In other words, you're committing boredom. That they may see your nakedness. All your lovers, that they may see your nakedness. So when Adam and Eve were naked, it foreshadowed departing from the God of Israel, departing from His Torah, breaking the covenant, and going after other gods, committing sexual immorality. So this is what was being prophetically foreshadowed. Ezekiel 16, verse 39. I will also give you into their hand, other gods. They will strip you of your clothes, the other gods, going away from the God of Israel. They will leave you naked. So then, as a result of Adam and Eve partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
they realized that they were naked. And then the other consequence was they were expelled from the garden. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, so he drove out the man. Drive out is the Hebrew word garash. The Strong's number 1644. And garash means to divorce. So you can say he divorced the man. So now we got a prophecy that there's going to be a marriage and then the spouse is going to depart from the Torah. The spouse, prophetically, is the nation of Israel. It's going to depart from the Torah. And as a result, Israel is going to go into exile. But the outcome of this is restoration and reconciliation. So, what's some of the consequences of the sin? Nakedness, which is without the covering of your spouse, without the covering of the God of Israel. And Yahweh would hide his face and there would be exile, there would be divorce. So then in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24, it says he divorced the man, drove out the man, sent Adam and Eve out of the garden, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims in a flaming sword. And then it says, the flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So the Hebrew word for flaming sword is carib. That same word, carib, the Strong's number 2719, that same word is found in Joshua chapter 5 verse 2. And that same word is translated as sharp knives. And in Joshua chapter 5 verse 2, the function of the sharp knife was to circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And so on the deeper level, since carob is an instrument for cutting, in the application of the instrument for cutting in Joshua chapter 5 verse 2, on the deeper spiritual level, we're going to see that it's through circumcision and it's a circumcised heart. Restoration is going to come through a circumcised heart. So the flaming sword, a circumcised heart, is the way back to the tree of life. And in the Hebrew, it says Aleph Tav, the way to the tree of life. Aleph Tav is Yeshua. Alpha Omega. So it's a circumcised heart through Yeshua is the way of restoration. So now, here in the garden with Adam and Eve, we have a prophetic picture and that which is happening on the spiritual level in the garden is now going to be repeated by the nation of Israel. And it's a teaching to and for and of his bride. So we can see how restoration comes by a circumcised heart through the Messiah 
in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. It says, A new heart will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. A new heart, a new spirit. I'm going to take away the stony heart, which was disobedient, and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes, to keep my judgments, and to do them. So here I'm going to show you the Hebrew of Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. And down at the bottom, the last line is an Aleph and a Tav. And so it says, Aleph and Tav, Darek, Hadarek is the way, eight, tree, Hachayim. Aleph Tav, the way to the tree of life. And so it's indicating that it's going to be through Yeshua, through the work of the Messiah, that restoration is going to come to his bride after A, the relationship's been established, and B, she's been unfaithful. And Yeshua is the Alpha, the Omega, the Aleph, and the Tav. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end, says Yahweh. Says the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. So Aleph Tav is the Almighty. Aleph Tav is the one which is, which was, which is to come. And so now, I stated for you, in beginning the message, the purpose of creation. And we're going to see the purpose of creation. I'm going to restate it for you. From looking at the first word of the Bible and examining it from a Hebrew perspective. So the first word of the Bible is in Hebrew, Breshit. It is translated in English as in the beginning. So we have three English words for one Hebrew word, Breshit. Now, if you would look at the first word of the Bible in a Torah scroll, in the Hebrew, you would find that the first letter of the first word is enlarged. So this first letter is the Hebrew letter Bet, and it's enlarged from the rest of the word. Because it's enlarged, it's an abnormal size, it would cause the reader to ask, why is it enlarged? And so, bet, or bait in Hebrew, means a house. And so, the explanation is, we're being told in the first letter of the Bible that the Torah in the Bible is something about a house. And if we look at the first two letters of the first word of the Bible, the Bet and the Resh, you have Bar, which is Aramaic for sun. And so we put the two thoughts together. The God of Israel wanted to have a house for his son, is the purpose of the creation. He wanted to have a house for his son. If I take the first two letters, in the last two letters, the bet and the resh, 
in the last two letters, the Yod and the Tav, put those together, it makes a Hebrew word, Brit, which means covenant. So we can end the thought. The God of Israel wanted to have a house for his son. The way in which he's going to do it is through covenant. Now, if I separate the first letter, the bet, from the rest of the word, I have reshit. With the bet, it's bereshit. Without the bet, it's reshit. And reshit means the beginning or the first. And grammatically, I can read reshit as it's translated in the beginning, but the bet grammatically can also be translated for, in or for. Well, it doesn't make sense in English to say for beginning. It would make sense to say for the purpose of the beginning or for the sake of the beginning. So I can read Breshit grammatically from the Hebrew as not only in the beginning, but for the sake of the beginning. So he wanted to have a house for his son. The way that he was going to do it is by covenant. And the creation, the building of the house, is for the sake of the beginning. But who is the beginning? We're going to see that the Torah is wisdom. If you go to Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you. Now, Christians will know that the book of Proverbs is sayings of wisdom. But what they don't connect is the wisdom that's being discussed and referred to in the book of Proverbs is the Torah and following the Torah. They miss that connection. And so the subject in Proverbs chapter 2 verse 1 is my words, my commandments. Proverbs 2, 2. So incline your ear to wisdom. So wisdom is called my words. Wisdom is called my commandments. My words, my commandments is Torah. So wisdom is likened to Torah. Now in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 1 it says, My son, forget not my Torah, let your heart keep my commandments. So the subject is my Torah, my commandments. Then it says in verse 13, Happy is the man that finds wisdom. So the Torah is called wisdom. Don't forget my Torah, happy is the man that finds wisdom. For she is a tree of life. Well, the she is wisdom. Because wisdom in Hebrew is chakmah. It ends in A-H. A-H is feminine in Hebrew. So wisdom is a she. So she is a tree of life. But Torah is, ends in A-H. It's feminine. So wisdom is Torah. So she is a tree of life. Wisdom is a tree of life. Torah is a tree of life. And so here we see the Torah associated with wisdom. Still in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 19 it says, Yahweh by wisdom has founded the earth. By wisdom and understanding he has established the heavens. 
So he created the heavens and the earth through his wisdom. Well, what's his wisdom? His Torah. So the Torah is called wisdom. Now, Yeshua created the heavens and the earth. If the Torah is wisdom and he created the heavens and the earth by wisdom and Yeshua created the heavens and the earth, then that means Yeshua must be wisdom. Yeshua is Torah. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Christ, Messiah, Messiah, the power of God, Messiah, the wisdom of God. Messiah, the wisdom of God. So now, we are told in Psalm 33 that the word of Yahweh created the world. Proverbs 33, 6. By the word of Yahweh were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth, for he spoke. And so the one that spoke is Yeshua, but the world was created by the word of Yahweh. The world was created by Yeshua. So Yeshua not only spoke the world into existence, but Yeshua is the word. He is the Torah. He is the wisdom by which the world was created. So then we can see that Torah is synonymous with wisdom, which is synonymous with Yeshua. Yeshua is wisdom. Yeshua is the Word, and the Word is the Torah. So Torah, wisdom, or Yeshua created the world, or is the means by which the world was created. So now we're told in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, that, the, that wisdom, which is the same as the Torah, which would be the same as Yeshua, existed before the creation of the world. Proverbs 8.22 Yahweh possessed me, this is wisdom speaking, in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. His works is the creation of the heavens and the earth. I was set up, wisdom was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. So wisdom predated the creation of the heavens and the earth. Wisdom is the Torah. So the Torah existed before the creation of the world because the Torah is the word of God and Yeshua is the word of God. So Yeshua, or his Torah, which is wisdom, existed before the creation of the world. And this is how he created the world. We're now going to see that Israel is called the beginning. Yeshua is called the beginning, and the Torah is called the beginning. He wanted to have a house for his son, and the way that he was going to do it was by covenant with the beginning. And the beginning is Israel, Torah, the Messiah. So Israel, the Torah, and the Messiah are one, and they're going to be in covenant with each other. And this is the purpose of creation. And so we have a name for Israel, the Torah, the Messiah being in covenant with each other. We call it a marriage. So Yeshua is going to enter into marriage with Israel, with his bride. And the basis for the marriage is going to be his Torah. 
following or keeping his Torah. So Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Israel was holiness unto Yahweh, the first fruits of his increase. So Israel is called, the King James says first fruit, but the Hebrew word is reshit, which means beginning. So Israel in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 3, is called the beginning. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22, it says, Yahweh possessed me, wisdom, in the beginning of his way. So wisdom is called the reshit. Wisdom or the Torah is called the reshit. And then what I'm explaining to you or expounding from the first word of the Bible is what John uses in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, Reshit. Beginning is the word. Well, what part of the beginning is the word? Because within Reshit is Reshit. Reshit is first, is the beginning. So the Reshit, so the word is the Reshit. The word is the beginning. It says the same was the beginning. The word is the beginning, the same as the Rashid. And so uh, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, that Yeshua is the first fruits of those who arise, 1 Corinthians 15. And so Yeshua is the beginning, the Torah is the beginning, Israel is the beginning. So I'm gonna repeat the meaning of Breshit. The God of Israel wanted to build a house, that's the enlarged bed, for his son, the first two letters. The way he was going to do it is through covenant. And the covenant was for the beginning or with the beginning. Israel is the beginning. Torah is the beginning. Messiah is the beginning. So therefore, the beginning is in covenant with each other. So Israel, Torah, the Messiah is called the beginning. They are in covenant with each other. This covenant is going to be in the form of a marriage relationship. Therefore, from these things, we can see that the purpose of creation was that Israel would be the bride or the destiny mate of the Messiah. So the Bible is an explanation regarding how and why this is so, and it gives you details about that relationship. And it communicates that the Messiah is giving an invitation to anyone who wants to receive him. He wants to have a marriage relationship with us, and it's teaching us what he's asking and requiring of his wife in the relationship. So this is what we're in the process of teaching and sharing. We'll take our break now and uh, resume once we get things settled and after we have a tea and fellowship, okay?